Welcome to the Swift Healthcare video podcast, exploring the intersection of healthcare and leadership hosted by Dr. Patrick Swift. SwiftHealthcare.com is your resource for healthcare professionals to find coaching and consulting to engage, restore, and transform yourself and your organization. And now here's your host, Dr. Patrick Swift. Folks, welcome to another episode of the Swift Healthcare Video Podcast. I'm Patrick Swift. I'm delighted that you're here, and I have a wonderful guest for you for this episode, Dr. Charles Binkley. Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you, Patrick. It's a real pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm delighted. And and Charles, uh, Dr. Binkley is is uh, based out of currently California, so you can feel the warmth. For those of you watching this episode, can feel the warmth. And if you're listening, I just want to encourage you to feel that California warmth and those rays. So, Dr. Charles Binkley is, listen to this. He's an experienced cancer surgeon, bioethicist, and healthcare quality leader. He directs the bioethics program at the Marcula Center at Santa Clara University. The Jesuit University of Santa Clara, the Jesuit University of the Silicon Valley. I'm happy to throw that in there because I love the Jesuits. Dr. Binkley attended Georgetown University School of Medicine, Goji Town, and completed his surgery training at the University of Michigan, awarded an NIH fellowship in pancreatic cancer research. Do you hear the theme here of ethics and care? Dr. Binkley has served on the Committee on Ethical, Legal, and Judicial Affairs of the California Medical Association, as well as the Board of Directors of the San Francisco Medical Society. He's a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Surgeons. He also directs the Healthcare Ethics Internship and Hansel Fellowship in Healthcare Ethics at Santa Clara University. Dr. Binkley, thank you so much for being on the show. Patrick, it really is a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. And it is 70 and sunny out here in San Francisco. <laughs> you can see the sun coming through the window here. Uh -huh. But after having spent seven long, cold years in Ann Arbor, I feel like I deserve at least a couple of decades of California sunshine. Absolutely. That is good karma. That is uh, the universe coming through. And I can feel that warm. So thank you. I'm broadcasting out of Maplewood, New Jersey. We're still hoping for that. Uh, in the New York City tri-state area, we're still hoping for that warm weather. So uh, I'm glad you're here, Charles. And, and we're talking in this episode about ethics of vaccine mandates with Dr. Charles Binkley, MD. So let's jump right into this. And, and how did you get into this work overall? Well, my, my involvement with ethics really spans my entire career, and it's taken different forms from chairing clinical ethics consult committees in, in major hospitals to working on ethics education. You know, how do you teach healthcare providers ethical behavior? How do you instill in them the things that we profess and that patients expect from us? And then also, how do you create policies that guide healthcare professionals when they face ethical dilemmas? And so I, having been involved with it in my entire life and also thinking about, you know, some of the specific ethical issues that cancer patients face, that mm. physicians caring for cancer patients face, mm. and that surgeons face, you know, I used uh, the opportunity to you know, segue into a different phase of my career uh, where I am uh, dedicating most of my time to ethics, to teaching, to writing and research, and then also doing a clinical ethics consultation, healthcare quality consultation. So that's really, you know, my path to my current position. And I love the path that this, uh, this thread that you have shared is from the clinical care to the surgical care to then integrating that into what we do and, and supporting healthcare providers and leaders and being ethical in, in what we do. So help me unpack ethics because, you know, I've got a PhD. People argue it stands for piled higher and deeper. Um, when we talk about ethics, 
it means different things to different people. So could you share with the audience what you mean by ethics? Absolutely. And it's a great question. So I always start from the idea of a profession. So healthcare is considered a profession, whether that be as a healthcare provider, a healthcare leader, a healthcare executive, it's considered a profession. And so a profession begins by an assumption. There are things to which members of that profession profess and things that the community, that the public can expect of members of that profession. And so what are the things that the community of healthcare providers, healthcare leaders profess? So first of all, it's to do good and avoid harm. And that's sort of the cornerstone of the profession. So based on that profession, then you can distill certain ethics. And so again, the ethical translation of that is that, you know, we'll prioritize our patients, that we will do good to them. And the tools of medicine can be used for good and for harm. You know, everything that we do as a surgeon, I was you know, acutely aware of that every time I wielded a scalpel, it can, can heal and it can also harm. And so what we profess is that these tools that we've inherited will use for good and avoid harm to the best of our abilities. And also in that is that we will not necessarily define benefit and harm by our value system, but by the patient's value system. And we'll, we'll come to a place where we use uh, the tools of our training and our experience, our professional responsibility, but also really listen to the patients and engage them in their decision-making. And so that it's, it's, not, it's not only joint, but it really is we each guide the other to come to what is right uh, in that situation. And then, you know, we oftentimes think of justice as, you know, am I treating the patient in front of me the same way that I treated the last patient that I saw and the next patient that I'll see. But I really think that, that our challenge as healthcare providers is to think about justice much more broadly. And it's not only, it's not just about that individual patient in front of you, but are all patients having the same level of access to care that I'm providing? And I think about this particularly in the context of cancer care and right now in the context of vaccinations for COVID, but you know, to think about cancer care you know, are we concentrating high quality cancer care only in large academic medical facilities and taking it away from public hospitals in an attempt to improve care? So the idea is, is that healthcare quality, you know, the more you do, the more you concentrate, the more you have different disciplines and interdisciplinary discourse, the higher quality the care is. But as you, as you move some of those resources away from public hospitals, away from rural hospitals, you may actually be cutting off your nose to spite your face. True. So the very patients who need that may not have access to it. So the intentions, again, are based around beneficence and non-maleficence, but you may not really be considering autonomy and justice in that equation. I appreciate the thread of what you spoke to about what we profess as professionals. It connotes what we profess in our faith and our belief system, which drives us and the, the profession itself. And then the, the coming together of the heart and mind about recognizing a clinician, a physician, a therapist may have a different set of ethics. And to acknowledge that those that we take care of may have a different set. And so oh, how absolutely. do we come together? I, I love that point. I mean, I love well, all you said, but I, I, that stands out to me as the, the heart of what we do because we are care, human beings caring for human beings. And if we're truly being that kind of clinician, leader, whatever it may be, we're acknowledging the humanity of the other person. That's absolutely right. And that's what binds us all together. Okay. What becomes tricky is when those of us professing this um, really incorporates other, other people 
other entities, other businesses that don't have that expectation. Yep. So for instance, you know, healthcare and technology now are forming lots of relationships and technology doesn't necessarily have that professional or that societal obligation that healthcare does to do good and avoid harm. Right. So we, we have to be very explicit about these relationships. Yeah, we have to be very explicit. The other thing that's happening is how this idea of justice is affecting vaccine rollout in yeah. lots of places there's this balance between you know how stringent are you how much do you require people to prove their age or prove their profession or prove they're in the correct tier which disincentivizes people so yeah. had you rather let a few bad players in or create a very rigid system that keeps some really good people out particularly people who may be undocumented people who may be elderly and not able to produce the sorts of documents they need in order to get vaccinated. So in my way of thinking about it, you're always going to have the people who try to cut the line. We learned that in kindergarten, right? Yeah. But, but what you really want to do is make sure you lift up those people who may not ordinarily have access and make sure that they get in and that they're also have their place in that line. One of my uh, other guests on the show has been Dr. Stephen Rummery, and we had an episode on restorative leadership. And Dr. Rummery is helping supporting the One Campaign in equity and distribution of the vaccine. And you're touching on the fact that there's that human nature that there's always the person who attempts to jump in line or who does jump in line. And what's coming up for me is, do we base our rules on fear that there may be a jerk? Or do we base our rules on ad maiorum dei gloriam, helping to yeah. the greatest glory, to the greatest good? Are our rules based on helping the most and doing the most good? Or are rules based on fear to make sure someone can't edge the system? It's, it's, uh, this is delicious what you're saying. And I want to talk about the, 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 the ethics of vaccine mandates too. And so how does that fit in with this too, Dr. Binkley? So the idea behind vaccine mandates is it really is the most efficient way uh, to reopen certain parts of society, certain benefits that society has come to expect in a way that is safe and that protects everyone, particularly the most vulnerable. So the, the, just going back to the vaccines, you know, part of getting a vaccine is not just to protect yourself, but is to protect the rest of the society. It's a reciprocal relationship. So I do this not only for my good, but also for your good. Yes. And so there are certain sectors of society that simply can't always engage in risk-reducing activities. So let's take, for instance, getting on an airplane. You just, you can't socially distance. There are medical emergencies on airplanes that require close contact between flight attendants and sometimes passengers sure. with each other. These aren't always uh, anticipated. They're usually surprises that happen. Just the flight attendants in their job can't always socially distance between passengers. Sure. Mask mandates, flight attendants have been forced in this really uncomfortable position of, of performing the job of police in the Policing. air and making yeah. sure that people yeah. have on their Policing. masks. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. the, the airline industry has been decimated in terms of its income, you know, people are afraid to fly. The CDC, you know, putting out uh, warnings about flying, about travel. And so people aren't flying. So in, in my mind, the most efficient way for the airline industry to both meet its ethical obligation to ensure the safety of passengers and its employees, because really that's 
that's the foundational ethical obligation of airlines. That's why we cancel flights when the when it's uh, when there are tornadoes. This is why if the engine isn't forming performing well, yep. we cancel flights. So safety is the cornerstone of the airline industry. And what better way to ensure the safety of its employees and the passengers? than to mandate that they receive a COVID-19 vaccine. And there are some legitimate exemptions. For instance, you know, there's we, we haven't completely proven the safety of the vaccine in pregnant persons. And so there would need to be a conversation there. Some people may have some objections to the vaccines on religious grounds. However, the Catholic Church, one of the most ardent uh, critics of abortion, has been very clear that all of the vaccines are morally permissible and has even gone so far as to say that uh, Catholics have a moral obligation to receive the vaccine as an act of charity. But, but, but it's not reasonable for passengers to claim autonomy. So you can claim autonomy when it comes to making healthcare decisions with your healthcare professional, but airlines have no obligation to respect an individual's autonomy. And in fact, you lose some of your autonomy when the doors close. You can't get up and walk around where you want to. You can't smoke when you want to. You can't sit where you want to. So if someone doesn't want to get the vaccine, that's fine. There's no ethical loss from not flying. You, there's no obligation to provide service to people who don't want to cooperate with the rules. I love it. And being, gosh, you, the way you put this together is so eloquent to acknowledge the, the greater whole of us, right? That professionals, healthcare professionals, non-healthcare professionals that are stridently adamant that they have rights and this is an oppression of their rights. And you make a beautiful point that enjoy your rights, just don't get on a plane if you're going to be a risk to others. And the notion that there's the, the greater the greater whole of us. Exactly. And I'd rather incentivize people to get vaccines than punishing them for not. Right. I and and I, I would probably have greater concern if the government came out and mandated vaccines, because then how do you enforce that? What do you right. do to people who don't get vaccines? Yeah. Instead, incentivize them and say, so you want to fly? Great. This is what you need to do. You need to be able to show that you're safe to fly. And the way that you do that is that you show proof of your vaccination. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there are other other sectors in which it would be uh ethical and in some ways desirable to require vaccines. I have published awesome. an article recently looking at churches mm. and saying that, you know, churches have really, they've, they've raised a ruckus to say, we want people to be present. And people have said, I want to be able to worship in person. And I, I think those are admirable goals, but it also has to be done safely. You don't want to kill yeah. people in the process. And so one way to reopen churches safely uh, and efficiently is to essentially require that churchgoers be vaccinated. You know, I think about my own family. We're uh, going to um, be visiting uh, my in-laws. We haven't seen them. We've we've seen them distanced several times, but we haven't actually been with them physically to hug them, to sit at a table with them in, in a, over a year. And so we're, we're going to hit that point where we've all been vaccinated in about three weeks, and we've had two weeks after our last vaccinations. And we're really looking forward to being with them in a way that's safe for everyone. Uh, and that we don't have to, to worry quite as much about getting infected and infecting someone else. Yeah, yeah. And thinking about, the, again, again, the greater good. And that's an act of charity. It's an act of love that you're going through this vaccine in order to not only take care of oneself, but also to take care of others. So I, I love I love uh, that example. Do you, yeah. um, uh, please go ahead. You know, it's also so we can take care of other people too. Because if we get sick, it's not just our own illness, but yeah. it's also the people who depend on us 
for care yeah. in so yeah. many different ways. Yeah, beautiful. So, Dr. Binkley, what would the take-home message be for a listener as we've covered a lot of ground, different shades and implications about this? What's the, the nugget of the take-home message here? So, I really get at this idea that you don't just learn ethics once and assume that they're always going to be there. It's not a one and done. It's not a one and done. And ethics are also not binary. You're very seldom either ethical or not unethical. They're all shades of gray. One of the one of the most alarming things somebody ever told me was a was another physician saying, "Well, I consider myself an ethical person." Well, that's that's problematic in and of itself if you're so confident in it's confident in your your ethicalness or your your ability to be ethical. You know, it's, it comes from a place of humility, uh, always asking, always reviewing, you know, wondering if we've done the right thing, and, and not to torture ourselves with it but not to take it for granted either, and to be intentional about ethics. And it's going to it's going to vary from person to person, situation to situation, and there's not a book that you can go to. Uh, and it's really about, in many ways, in my mind, ongoing formation of the conscience. Mm. Uh, in a way, is a, a virtue-based ethic where mm. you try to not only be an ethical physician, an ethical nurse, an ethical uh, neuropsychologist, uh, but an ethical human being who happens to be a physician, a nurse, a neuropsychologist. Love it. Uh, it reminds me of Terre de Chardin's uh, famous quote, we're not human beings having spiritual experiences, but spiritual beings having human experiences. Exactly. And, and you speak to living in the gray and recognizing the gray, the ethics is not binary. It's not an either or. It's not black and white. But there are gray areas that we have to navigate in the work you've done in the, the ethics committees in the work I've done as part of ethics committees in hospitals in a leadership position and a clinical care position. There are many gray areas that we have to navigate. And the key is to hold up the, the, the patient, the care, and also doing it ethically in the way that we're trained. Oh, absolutely. And that, that gray area can be both life taking and life-giving sure. and when our gray area when we get punished for being in the gray area when we are disincentivized for asking questions and for Oof, wondering so true. Uh, as a clinician as a healthcare leader that's where physician burnout comes from is the loneliness of the gray area because we don't like the gray area it, it doesn't it's not it doesn't generate funds it doesn't create good quality scores and it doesn't uh, perhaps make us look good in front of our peers but we all face that gray area yes. and to be able to sort of share that gray area and to be able to say gosh we're all in this together let me help you and you will help me in turn i, I really think that 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 gray area is the sink for physician happiness, that a lot of professional fulfillment is sucked up by the loneliness that that gray area produces. Did you say sink? Like a, It a... sinks, like it, it pulls it out of you, yeah, mm. like a sinkhole. Mm. Mm. It's, a, it's a powerful image and, and one that speaks to the call to do something actively to not be drawn into that sinkhole. To, to be able to lift lift yourself up and, and in so doing, lift others. When we're burnt out, whether we're healthcare leaders, providers, um, supporters, caregivers of, of a, a loved one of a, of a healthcare professional, this is something, healthcare is a team sport and, and we need to lift each other up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, I, yeah. So I'd love to then ask you my, um, well, it looked like you're about to say something. So was, was you gonna add something to that? Well, it's just, it's, 
it's a matter of, yeah, exactly. It's lifting each other up uh, mm -hmm. so that we can all help each other be the best possible selves that we can be. Mm -hmm. So we, I love that because it speaks to when we are, we are being our best possible selves when we are lifting each other up and, and by so doing, by reaching out we are becoming better people and healthcare professionals. I was speaking with Dr. Dyke Drummond uh, on another episode of the show and talking about the culture in healthcare where there's pressure to work autonomously, independently, have no faults, and it, it dehumanizes the physician experience. It de dehumanizes the healthcare person experience that we actually need to ask for help. We need to acknowledge our, our weaknesses and, and seek support. And so I'm certain by people hearing your voice and finding comfort in what you have to share with us, Dr. Binkley, that people are being uplifted and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And that leads me to my favorite question, which is if you were standing at the top of the world and you for a brief moment had the attention of all the healthcare folks on the whole planet for a brief moment, what would you say to them? Gosh, you know, it would really have something to do with um, relax, trust yourself, trust your patients, listen to your inner voice and to trust that. Mm. We're talking about ethics and you're talking about our conscience and here you are talking about listening to your, your voice, listening to the heart, listening to, the, to that voice and trusting. I love the notion of trust. And just by you saying that, it relaxes me. I can you know, take a deeper breath, the being reminded to trust. Trust oneself, trust trust others, and, and we can do this together. So thank you, Dr. Binkley. And, and if folks are interested in following up, I know there's some amazing resources. So I'll go ahead and throw out there. There's amazing resources at the, at the Marcula Center. Uh, but how can folks follow up with you? So you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Charles Binkley. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Charles Binkley. And I can, through either source, you can also visit the Mark Listener's website and learn more about the work of the bioethics division at the Mark Listener and at Santa Clara University. Awesome. Well, I will include that in the show notes and certainly I encourage folks to follow Dr. Binkley on Twitter, LinkedIn, and the links will be on the episode show notes as well. So Dr. Binkley, thank you so much for being part of the show. I'm deeply grateful for your heart and wisdom. And I pray that listeners take away some support, comfort, and, and compassion, courage, joy, and hope in, uh, in this message, in this episode. So thank you. Thank you, Patrick. It's been a real pleasure to be with you. And now we're heading to the beach for the afternoon. Outstanding. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Mickley. You're welcome. Be well. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, or leave a review about the show on your favorite platform and learn how to support the podcast as a patron at swifthealthcare.com, where you can also find the show notes and all of our episodes. Thanks for joining us.